0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart podcast, episode 157. I'm your host, Derek Moore. Lots to talk about this week. A little bit of geopolitical news, some interest rate news, markets in correction territory, some in bear market territory. We'll get through that and kind of what happens once we see that. So obviously, the big news over the last couple of days was yesterday, the markets opened down and they gap down. Although they actually finished higher for the day. And then today, Friday, as I'm recording this, it's uh it's a pretty strong update in the markets. And there's there's actually data on just when we see things in general and then we see how markets perform three months, six months, you know, a year later and those types of things. So I thought we'd start with obviously the big news. And and it's worth reminding people i mean when we talk about geopolitical stuff or the the russia ukraine situation there's obviously a, a human cost to all this and but really uh, i'm just going to be talking about the the market side of things um and it's uh you know obviously don't want to forget about that but this this just isn't the program that that deals with those types of things so to the markets Yesterday, there were a couple things that really came to, to light. And number one is we saw a volatility jump. We saw spreads widen. I mean, spreads on options, specifically the bid ask spreads, so that those widen. And you see the quote, you know, premiums go up. We saw volatility go up. Um, and, but I think there's a couple things here. And let me start. With sort of the immediate thoughts I have on it, and then we'll get to some of the longer term stuff. What happens when we have geopolitical events in the markets, and, the, and what's the what? What has been the historical reaction, and what do we see? You know, maybe a year later in markets. So, first thing first. Obviously, volatility up, prices were down. Although today, um, and there could have been a lot of short covering. And anytime that you have uh, short positions in the market, and I actually haven't checked any of the levels, but any sort of rebound has the shorts needing to close, exacerbating the move uh, higher a little bit. So you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. Of note, commodities. Now, commodities are a favorite inflation hedge, and as I've been saying, I mean commodities. It's not new. They they had a, a really good. Uh, certainly, 2021, and a little bit before then, commodities were moving higher. We know oil was already higher. Uh, and so what we see yesterday? Well, we saw oil go above 100. I, I think it settled below that. And oil and other commodities. Uh, you know, wheat was another one. Russia is the world's top producer of wheat and third for oil production. And so naturally, those were areas that in the short run would uh, would see some, some pressure to the upside on pricing. Yesterday, wheat futures, for example, opened lock limit, which means the way commodities works, if, if you never traded them or never weren't familiar, the contracts have a limit up and down to how far they can move before they're just locked, meaning you can't. Uh, you can't buy anymore in the case of, of wheat. Uh, oil did not do that. So, And and this is interesting because a lot of the commodities are part of the Consumer Price Index or the CPI. And I think CNN Business, I'd seen an article. They noted that if commodities uh, for longer periods are going to have upward pricing pressure, that could increase inflation, uh, as I've been mentioning. You know, it shouldn't be a surprise in March when they report February uh, inflation CPI still high. I think the latest estimate from the Cleveland Feds inflation now cast had about you know 7.6, 7.7 year over year expected CPI. So I know that sometimes when the, the numbers come out it seems like a surprise because the, the news networks and, and non-financial news networks run stories about inflation. But that that is one of the ways that it sort of relates. Uh, on inflation and in the Fed, it was noted that the probability, and I've linked before to the, uh, the CME, uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Fed Probability Tool, that's a futures exchange, and Fed Funds Futures are traded there. And Fed Funds futures, if you see a a price on those, you take 100 minus the price, and that's pretty much the implied interest rate uh, that that contract is is telling us. And so I think it's the the March contract which would encompass the next Fed meeting. There was a 33.7% probability one day earlier of a full 50 basis point rise in March. And to be clear, there, there's still 100% probability, pretty much 100% of uh, the Fed will raise at least a quarter point. But it went from 33.7% for 50 basis points down to only 9.5%. And so that probability dropped. And Mohammed L. aryan appeared on CNBC during Squawk Pox. Uh, I think it was Becky Quick who interviewed him. And he did the, make the point that he thought based on some of the geopolitical stuff that the whole notion of you know some of the the investment banks are saying hey you know we're going to see at least a quarter point at every meeting there's seven more meetings remaining for the rest of uh, 2022 and some of them were saying hey we could see seven eight not you know all this stuff and he's saying uh, at least yesterday that he thought that the number of rate hikes for 2022 are not they're they're going to have to come down based upon this, and he also made the point that the Fed may have to live with a little uh, higher inflation for longer. Now I always point out that you know when when people go on CNBC, you go on TV, and you get asked questions, you're giving sort of an opinion at that moment in time, and I I always say this because he or other people could go on again and have a different opinion. Or they could not do any TV and change their opinion the next day. But I, I did think it was interesting to bring up. And you saw that and how the Fed Fund's future is traded. Now, so I think, now bonds today are back down, meaning yields are back up on bonds. And I'll have a little bit to talk uh, to say about uh, high yield as well. Because that's acting differently than equities. Which um, anyway, let me let me not get too far ahead there. And then we come to you know the markets were already moving down before yesterday, and I saw some commentary today on CNBC by one of the guests that said, "Hey, may, maybe this washout was what the market needed to to sort of form a bottom." Now I don't know. You know, longtime listeners who have been with us for a few years know that. The general premise for you know how we look at investing is you, you buy but you hedge. And when you have a hedged equity strategy, it takes away this need to get in and out of the market to try and time things. And you'd rather stay invested, not get whipsawed, but just have a, a floor, you know, eight to ten percent down where if the market drops, you're you're lost to stop or have buffers and things like that. Uh, So if you're hedged, it becomes a little better emotionally to to deal with any of these things. Uh, Maybe you don't worry as much. Uh, But there is this thought. I mean, look, markets were already coming down. Uh, At the worst yesterday, I think the NDX, which is the NASDAQ 100 index, it was off 22% year to date. Anything above 20% on a closing basis is considered a correct, not only correction, correction is 10%. But a bear market's twenty percent. So yesterday, you could say the Nasdaq 100, which of course has Apple and Google and Microsoft in the index, was in bear market territory. Same thing with the Russell 2000. I think at the lows, it was down about twenty-four percent. The S and P got down year to date to around minus minus fourteen point five percent, fourteen and a half percent. And so that was not yet in bear market territory, but it certainly was a correction. And I did some, some digging on this, and Schwab put out a piece in their market perspectives. Uh, I'll, I'll try and link to that if I can in the, in the show notes. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll just mention, you know, I, I did talk about hedging a little bit and how we look at strategies and how you can, you know, look. Here, here's my email, Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot Moore, M-O-O-R-E. At zegafinancial.com. That Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financial.com. Financial's is up to you to spell correctly. And, uh, you know, we I do have uh, openings and the ability to, uh, if you are interested in talking to me further about how we invest and in working with us, you know, that, that's the way to, to get a hold of me. Anyway, back to the, uh, the correction. So in Schwab market perspective piece, they had a a great chart. And since 1974, only five market corrections out of 24 have become bear markets. So we're talking about the S&P 500. And so that's at least 10%, but not more than 20%. More than 20% is a bear market. And I thought that was an interesting stat. I'll, I'll link to that. And it also reminds me of you know annual returns and intra-year declines. So many years you have declines in the market, but the the end of year percent return winds up being positive. Now we don't know what markets going to do. I don't I don't pick direction of markets. You just buy and, and you sort of hedge and you set up buffers and and different ways to take advantage of the upside without you know while reducing materially the the downside. But even in a year like 1987, where intra-year, the market, the S&P, dropped minus 34%, the market ended plus 2% and plus 2%. Uh, Two years ago in 2020, the market was down, guess what, 34%. And the market ended up plus 16%. So you get this intra-year volatility. And I'll have uh, in in a little bit. I'll actually have uh, a little bit to say about what we've seen historically when we see those downturns. I did want to mention too. Uh, a few people asked questions about whether you know companies directly are being impacted. And Facts said had a uh, saw a piece online that. Uh, and, and it made me think of this too because I, I guess McDonald's, I think I saw McDonald's, and I don't know if it's true or not, said so they had they had closed all their restaurants in Ukraine, which would be obviously uh, totally reasonable given the the conflict there. Uh, but speaking of McDonald's, they about four percent of their revenues come from Russia um, and Ukraine. And I think Philip Morris was eight percent, you know Pepsi McDonald's. So, so there is some exposure, but it's it's you know, I think the top 10 companies are around four um, percent. I have a few questions about that. And by the way, uh, the so we always think about GDP. GDP is the gross domestic product, and we think about it as you know the, the GDP of the us, the GDP of Europe or or england or or China or Russia. Uh, give you some perspective on a GDP basis. I think the last numbers I saw, states uh, states like California. I think California is over three trillion in GDP on a state basis alone. I think Vermont was the the lowest one. I think they were something. You know, I, I should I should have looked this up, but I think there's something like forty billion is the is state GDP. New York State and Texas are about one point seven trillion, and according to the World Bank. Uh, I believe, and they don't have anything too current. I think it was 2020, uh, the GDP of Russia was around 1.5 trillion. So Russia has a GDP uh, basically equivalent to, let's say, New York uh, State or, 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 uh, or Texas. So, okay. So we went through some of this. Let's talk about sort of what happens when, you know, when you have geopolitical events. And Vanguard put out a piece yesterday. I got it in my email box um, from their institutional group. And it was titled, Geopolitical Sell-Offs Are Typically Short-Lived. And the average total return six months from an event, was about 5%. Average total return one year from event was about 9%. And to give you some, some context on this, so... Uh, 1979, the Iranian hostage crisis, a drawdown of 3%. And then six months later, the market was, and I, I'm talking about the S&P, uh, up plus 3%, up plus 26% a year later. Uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, minus 5%, a year later, up plus 26%. Brexit vote, minus 5%, a year later, up plus 18%. The 2014 Ukraine conflict, minus 1% plus 12% a year later. Um, Iraqi war, this is 2003. Yes, that's the second one then. Minus 3% a year later, plus 27%. So I thought that was interesting perspective to look at sort of geopolitical events. And then, then you look at... You know, Did I mention the Cuban Missile Crisis? Cuban Missile Crisis was another one, minus 5% plus 26% a year later. I may have mentioned that one um, already, so I apologize if I did. But, and then I looked at some other ones too. And uh, the, the Munich Olympics in 72, one day the S&P was down 0.3%. Um, you know the, the Tet Offensive in Vietnam... It uh, looks like the total drawdown was around 6%, not in one day, but the total drawdown. They don't break it out quite as much. So the Pearl Harbor attack, that was minus 3.8%, uh, you know, drawdown of 20% after the initial day. And that one took a little bit longer to recover, about 300 days to recover. North Korea invades South Korea, that's 1950, minus 5.4%. And it took 82 days to uh, to recover um, that loss. So, you know, every every one of these is different, and but I thought that was interesting to look at, and I think sometimes people's inclination is to to panic in the moment, and as investors, you really don't want to panic, and ideally, you have strategies that take that away, like hedging. Uh, but I also looked and I said uh, BlackRock put out a, a piece, uh, also got into my in, in email inbox, I should say. And that one had, let's see what this one is, the worst day, the worst month, and then three months for the S&P since 1950. So it's the, the worst three-month period, the worst month period, and the worst day period. And then they looked at the return one year later. And 1987 was the worst single day. So, uh, and of course, the dividends are not included, by the way. So this is, uh, looks like it's just the price return. But the S&P 500 index, and 87 was down almost 21%, minus 20.5%. The return one year later was 23.1%. October 87 was the worst month. Uh, the return one year later was 14.8%. I know you're probably like, wait a second, you just told me one day. Well, remember, that was one day. That was October 19th. And so you got some recovery already after that towards the end of the month. Uh, but that was that was the worst month. And remember, the market was down 34% at one point. Um, and then the the worst three-month return was actually September of 08 to November of 08. So September, October, November of 2008 and the S&P was down almost 30%, minus 29.7%. A year later plus 25.4%. And so when you look at these you know the worst 3 month periods all of these they reference and there is 4H12 I don't know 16 17 20 maybe they uh all but one a year later, the markets were higher. on average, the worst month was minus twenty point eight, and the average uh, return a year later was plus twenty five point two percent. When you look at these on the chart and they provided a, a chart as well, and I'm sorry i I don't have a link to this. it was sent to me over uh over email and uh but i am they provided a chart. And basically, they went back to, let's see, 1925. And they just showed when all the recessions were. And you see these vertical lines. And you see a chart of this looks like, is this the S&P or is this the Dow? I think this is, uh, I think it's the S&P. So, and and by the way, before interview aficionados, yes, the current inclination of the S&P started in the was it 1951, 19, uh, but the S&P did sort of exist in uh, in a different form prior to that. But if we look at, uh, this is U.S. large stock, uh, representative, yeah, 57. Yeah, so actually it's it's the S&P. I'm looking at the the cliff notes here. Some of you are like, all right, get on with it. Already. I just want to be accurate. U.S. US large stock trust was a, uh, was what they used earlier. Anyway, the whole point of this, if you zoom out and you look at the markets, over time, the markets uh, have gone up and to the right. And you have all these things, the 2020 COVID pandemic, 2008 financial crisis, 2003 SARS, 2001 bubble burst, 1991 first Iraq war, 87 Black Monday, 1979 oil crisis, energy crisis, uh, Vietnam in '64, Cuban Missile Crisis at '62, Korean War, World War II, Great Depression—all those things—and over time, over the long period, it, you know, the market does resolve itself. Now, of course, if your timing is such that you're going to be retiring, let's say, in a couple of years, uh, all this—and this is why—you know, if you're interested in talking more, you know, you can email me. We can set up some time, but. In general, you know markets go up over time. we do know that your certain your individual circumstances are what matters when you're designing your investment strategy and so that is really really critical to take into account and yes if you're, you're like hey I'm going to retire in three years all right well that's that's a little bit different I don't have a hundred years but I bring this up because this gets back to the whole idea of having things set up that have some protection in the portfolio that let you not panic not react to the short term events we know of course you know 2000 to 2009 the markets are pretty much flat for 10 years if you invested it on december 31st of 1999 and, and you still had what you had in uh, you know at the at the very end of the decade yeah, you're pretty much flat. Yeah, and we call that the lost decade. Now, if if you're someone who is accumulating and putting money to work, you know, every paycheck, every year, and you're adding to it, you actually want the markets to go down. So anyway, maybe we'll do something on in the future on uh, on something like that. So I would say for now, uh, I wanted to give you some historical context on what I'm seeing in the markets. Wanted to give you a couple points on. In the short term, and we really don't know what's going to happen with markets. Uh, is this a correction that simply, you know, finds a bottom and goes higher? Yeah, maybe, maybe, right? Um, it is interesting. Oh, I I did mention. I want to mention this as well. High yield bonds and and equities historically, and according, I think I saw this in uh, from J P Morgan in a, in a piece. They've got you know a seventy to eighty percent correlation, meaning. How equities vis-a-vis the S&P 500 does, typically high-yield bonds, the price is going to be highly correlated. While the markets were coming down, we didn't really see credit spreads blow out, meaning the spread between high-yield bonds and treasuries blow out. We didn't see it yesterday either. And that was interesting, because on one hand, you could say, well, high-yield bonds haven't haven't dropped uh, commensurate with the drop in equities year to date, or the other way is to look. Okay, well we know that bankruptcies are really low compared to historical levels, and the recovery rates in bankruptcy is higher. Meaning, if you if you're an investor and you hold a bond in a company that goes bankrupt, you know they have assets. You sell everything off. Uh, I always joke around and say, you know, you have a bond of a fishing store, one fishing store. And they go bankrupt, well, if they have a bunch of reels and I guess vests and lures and all that stuff, well, in a bankruptcy proceeding, eventually I'm, I'm making light of this and I'm oversimplifying it. But that stuff gets sold off. And whatever the assets are worth after it gets sold off gets returned to the, to the bondholder. It's more complex than that, trust me. Uh, but the recovery rates have been higher. And the recovery rates uh, typically are just under uh, 40%, and they, they've been higher um, over this last stretch. So that is something of, of interest. Uh, of course, we do use short-duration high-yield bonds and some of the hedge portfolios to generate income to pay for the hedges or to pay for the, uh, the long exposure. And we use short-duration because there's less interest rate risk and in a lot of the portfolios. Then we hedge the short-duration high-yield. But I, I just thought I would note that because that is something that struck me as how the, the correlation had separated a little bit in a positive way, where the bonds, although they've they've drawn down year to date, they did not follow equities down quite as much. And so that I'm watching that. That could be maybe something, maybe it's nothing. All right. So we'll kind of leave it there and Hopefully, this was helpful, give you a little perspective on what's going on. I'll put as many links as I can in the show notes. Uh, please don't hesitate to uh, to send me an email, derek.more at zegafinancial.com. Z is in zebra, E is in A, G is in George, A is an Apple. Financial is up to you to spell correctly. Uh, and just drop me a line. Let me know any topics you want me to cover. A lot of times, topics from listeners or things that I wind up talking about, or if you just want to find out a little bit more about how we run portfolios for clients. And again, uh, still no listener, as far as I can tell, uh, shown up from the country of Gibraltar. Why Gibraltar? I don't know. It's a a small country, but uh, the the offer's still out. If uh, anybody listens from Gibraltar, I will sign a book. Uh, My book, uh, Broken Pie Chart, available on Amazon, of course. And by the way, it's a great, what holiday do we have? Do we have any more holidays coming up this year? Uh, what do we got? I guess Easter. Yeah, what, why not? What a great Easter gift. Father's Day, Mother's Day. So anyway, I will send out a, a signed copy of the book. Uh, we'll leave it there. This is episode 157. We will talk to you again next week.